0: to the Romans. The sixth chapter, please stand. St. Paul writes, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks so much, Tom. One theologian has this to say about Romans 6. He says, The basic issue in Romans 6 is the issue of lordship. Who is your lord? Who has the dominion in your life? Whom are you serving? Is it God or sin? Lordship. Who is your lord it's an all-important question at this very moment right now either god or sin has dominion in your life you are serving one or the other there's no middle ground there's no neutral ground you're serving sin or god so who claims you who's your master at this very moment who's your lord Is it God, or is it sin? So far in Romans 6, we've learned that how you answer that question depends on how you answer this question. Are you united to Jesus Christ? Are you in Christ? If the Holy Spirit has united you to Christ, if you are in Christ, and if Christ is in you, then you are dead to sin and alive to God. Once and for all, you are rid of sin as the controlling power in your life. Sin's tyranny is over. It's over. Sin no longer claims you. Your Lord is God. How can that be? How can that be true? Because of union with Christ. What's true of your Savior is now true of you in Him. Paul has told us before, If Christ died to sin, then you too have died to sin in Christ. If Christ lives to God, then you too live to God in Him. Who's your Lord? If you are united to Jesus Christ, who's alive and reigning now from heaven, if you're united to Christ, then your Lord is God. This moment, tomorrow and forever. That that is good news. Brothers and sisters, that is really good news. But how does it translate into everyday life? How does, it, how does it translate into my life? If you are dead to sin and alive to God, then what are the downstream implications of that truth? What, what difference does it make? What difference ought it to make in our lives? In other words, so what? So what? The question popped into my head this past week. So what? And and it wasn't when I was studying this passage. It was early in the morning when one of our kids woke up early and needed my help. Did I respond cheerfully with the heart of a servant? I wish I did. To my shame, I didn't. I responded with an exasperating or an exasperated groan. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I was busy doing my thing, and I didn't want to help anyone. What I felt so clearly in that ordinary moment, in that everyday Monday moment, was the selfishness in my heart. The selfishness that's no stranger to me. The selfishness that I know Far too well. And the question popped into my head so what? So what? If I'm dead to sin, if I'm dead to selfishness, and if I'm alive to God, then what difference will that truth make in my life right now? Right now. In this moment, as I struggle with selfishness, what are the implications of my union with Christ? of being united to Christ. What difference does it make? Our passage this morning answers those questions. It answers those questions. We'll see that Paul draws out the implications of what it means for us to be united to Christ. And I share that personal story to make the point that these truths touch down. They they touch down in your life. They really do make a difference. Union with Christ makes a difference in the ordinary lives of Christians who struggle with sin. It does, and Paul wants to show us how so let 's start with a let 's start with a bird 's eye view of this picture and then move to a bug's eye view. Um, as you can see in your worship guide or in your Bibles, there are three main sections, and we 'll consider each section in turn verses twelve through fourteen. 15 through 19, and then 20 to 23. And after studying this passage, I think a really good summary of this passage is found in verse 19. So let's start by looking there. Verse 19, toward the end of the verse, starting with the word, so now. Paul writes in verse 19, So now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. I think this is a really good summary of the passage. In the first section, Paul will call us and command us as Christians to present our members. That's in the first section. Then in the next section, he'll continue that command or that call. Present yourselves. But he'll also introduce the topic of slavery. Slavery to sin or to righteousness. Then in the final section, Paul will explain how all of this leads to sanctification. So in some ways, verse 19 is a little blueprint of this section. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So with that said, let's Look at the first section together, and remember, remember the immediate context. Specifically, verse 11, if you have your Bibles, you can see it there. This is one of the verses of the section that Troy preached on last week. So verse 11, Paul writes, "...so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus." dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that's the immediate context. Now, Paul will build on that as he starts verse 12. So let me read these verses again. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God As those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says, let not sin therefore reign. Wait a second, Paul. Wait a second. You just said that a believer is dead to sin. Dead to sin. In other words, sin no longer controls me. I'm rid of sin as the reigning, reigning, dominating power in my life. So if that's true, in what sense can sin still reign? In what sense can sin still reign? It seems like Paul answers that question in the very next words. He says, Sin reigns when you obey the sinful passions the desires and lusts of your mortal body. Sin reigns when you present your members. That means the various parts of your body, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your feet, to sin as slaves of righteousness. So, in Christ, you are dead to sin. It has no actual authority over you. In other words, sin is no longer inevitable in your life. You are free to not sin. But when you do sin, when you do sin, you live like sin once again controls you. You live like it actually rains. It doesn't, but you live like it does. Sin can't demand your obedience, but you volunteer the parts of your body for its services. You live like sin is still your master. It's not, but you live like it. In that sense, sin reigns. And Paul couldn't be more clear. What should we do about this? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let sin reign. Don't present your body to sin. Rather, present yourselves to God. After all, you have been brought out of death into life in union with Christ. So present your members now to God as instruments for righteousness. Let's think about this together. What Paul is saying here is so practical. It's so tangible. He's talking about our bodies. Think of your bodies. Kids, think about your your hands. Think about what you do with your hands. The Bible is saying, since Jesus is your Lord, since Jesus loves you and you love him back, don't use your hands to hit your brother and sister. Don't use your hands to take what doesn't belong to you. Why would you do that if Jesus is is your Lord? Instead, use those hands to help with the chores around the house. Use those hands to Help your brother or sister when he falls down or she falls down. That's what Paul is saying. This is so practical. Think about your bodies. This call is not just for kids. It's for all of us, all of us who are in Christ. Paul is saying, don't present your bodies to sin. Instead, present your hands, present your feet, present your eyes, your ears, your voice Present your bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. Present yourself to God. So this past week, early in the morning, as I heard one of my kids calling for my help, I stood at a crossroads. In that moment, would I present my body to selfishness or would I present myself to God? Which would I do? You stand at a crossroads each day, many, many, many times. Many times you stand at a crossroads. Will you present your body to sin or will you present your body to God? Will you present your hands to sin or will you present your hands to God? Your voice, your eyes, your bodies, all of them. If you have resurrection life in Christ, present yourselves to God. That's what Paul is saying here. You have every reason to do that. You have every reason to present yourself to God. And Paul tells you why in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So, no matter how hard your fight against sin, no matter how bitter the struggle is with sin, no matter how many times you have failed, no matter how intractable your sin, no matter how complex the brokenness, Christian, you can be certain of this. Sin will have no dominion over you. No dominion. None. It is no longer your master. That's what Paul is saying here. Why? Because of what you are now under. Because of what you are now under. Because of what truly and ultimately reigns in your life. You, Christian, are not under law. You are under grace. The strong, liberating grace of God reigns in your life. In your life, you live in the shadow, you could say, of the cross and empty tomb. Each day, each moment, you live in the shadow of what Christ has done for you. You live your life in that shadow. Believe this to be true by faith today. Believe it by faith. Sin will have no dominion over you. No dominion. You are under God's grace. This is really good news. Now, what about law? Does this mean that sin is no longer relevant? For someone who's under grace, does it really matter how you live your life? As Paul puts it in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Hmm, let me think about it. By no means! By no means, no way, God forbid. In the next section, Paul explains why God's grace is never, ever, never, ever an excuse or license or incentive to sin. So let's look at verse 16. He starts with this principle. You could call it a slavery principle or a presentation principle. Here's what he writes in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? According to God's word, how many slaveries are there? There are two. Two slaveries. Either of sin or of obedience. Two slaveries. There's no middle ground. You're either in one or the other. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to obedience. Every man, woman, girl, and boy is a slave either of sin or of obedience. It's similar to what we've learned so far in Romans about being in Adam or being in the second Adam, in, in Christ. There are, you're in one or the other. You're a slave either to sin or to obedience. There are two slaveries. What about you? Who are you a slave to? A slave to sin or to obedience? You're one or the other. And Paul says that you're a slave to the one whom you obey. You are a slave to the one that you present yourself for obedience. He also says, not just that there are two slaveries, but there are two outcomes. Notice that in the verse. Verse 16, slavery of sin, where does that lead? Death. But slavery to obedience? Righteousness righteousness. And he will soon talk about everlasting righteousness, eternal life. So you are one or the other. So who are you? Which camp do you fall in? Which slave camp do you belong to? Are you a slave to sin or to God, to obedience? Well, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, if you are united to Christ, if you have put your trust in him and in him alone for your salvation, this is what Paul has to say. This is what Paul has to say to you. Look with me now at verses 17 through 18. Christian, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness righteousness so you are as a christian a slave to righteousness you have been committed Paul says you have been delivered handed over to the standard of teaching you could think of that as well in other words the the apostolic gospel of Jesus Christ with all of its implications for now For how you live now as a Christian. The gospel of Jesus Christ, with all of its implications, you have become obedient to that gospel. That gospel. And Paul says, you have become obedient from the heart. From the heart. The change hasn't just happened in your behavior, it leads there. It doesn't just happen with something that's peripheral to you. No. You have become obedient from your heart. So righteousness is now anything you think, say, or do that pleases God, and it begins here, in your heart. In your heart, that's what Paul is saying. You are, from the heart, committed by God. You are a slave of righteousness. This is what's true of you. I want to dwell on this for a little bit with with you all. Perhaps, Perhaps this analogy would help. Many of you know what it's like to have a job that requires you to be on call. Or maybe your spouse has the on call job. Or kids, maybe your dad or mom has an on call kind of job. That means that when you're called, you are obligated to respond. You have, you have no option but to drop whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You need to drop whatever you're doing and do what's, what's required of you. Do what your work demands of you. In a sense, what Paul is saying is that you were once on call to sin, but no more. You were once on call to sin, but no more. Once, sin was able to call you And you were obligated. You had no choice but to obey. But now, now you're on call to righteousness. So when sin calls you on the phone, you don't need to pick up. You don't need to pick up. You're not obligated to respond. You don't need to take the call. Sin is no longer your master. You belong to Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder that Paul says, thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. Here's another way to think about it. St. Patrick's Day, as many of you know, was this past Friday. And at men's prayer on Friday, Troy shared with some uh, shared us or shared with us something that's called St. Patrick's breastplate. I was familiar with the content. I wasn't aware of the the name St. Patrick's breastplate, but Apparently, as soldiers and knights went out to battle, these prayers would be written on, um, written on their shields. And uh, I'll share the, the content of that with you in a moment. But first, apart from Christ, apart from Christ, so being in Adam, what's true? Sin enslaves you. You are a slave to sin. You could say, sin is with you before you behind you in you beneath you above you on your right and on your left sin is everywhere but united to christ righteousness now enslaves you and as you go to battle in your christian life what is true of you as you walk as you walk as a pilgrim in your christian life what is true of you Christ with you, Christ before you, Christ behind you, Christ in you, Christ above and below you, on your right, on your left, when you lie down and when you rise. All is Christ. That's what's true of you. That's the St. Patrick's breastplate. Christian, as you battle, as you struggle with sin, this is what's true of you. Christ all around me. So on that particular morning, as I was struggling once again with that familiar selfishness, I know this, this is, I know this selfishness. It's been with me for so long. And I realized in that moment, oh, I'm not a slave to selfishness. I'm not a slave to it selfishness, I'm not a slave to you. And it was so freeing to realize that and believe it by faith. I'm not in this moment a slave to righteousness or um, a slave to selfishness. Selfishness is calling me on the phone demanding, live your life your way. Who cares? Do what you want. And I didn't have to pick up the phone. I'm not a slave to righteousness. Uh, uh, selfishness. (laughs) Neither are you. You're not a slave to selfishness. You're not a slave to whatever sin. Whatever, whatever that sin is. The many, many sins there are. So what are you struggling with today? What sin are you struggling with today? Which sin have you struggled with for a long, long, long time? What sin recently has surprised you? I, I didn't know I could struggle with that. What are those sins? You need to speak the truth to yourself. Believe this by faith. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm not a slave to any of these sins. No, I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave to God. Going back to our... um, the second section, verse 19, at this point, Paul acknowledges that, that, that the slavery analogy isn't perfect. Um, as we might say, the analogy eventually breaks down. Um, so he acknowledges that. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But we get the point. We get the point. We understand what he's saying. And Paul goes on to say in the rest of verse 19... For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What Paul is saying is, you know what it's like to present your body to sin. You know what this is like. Sin, here are my hands. Use them for your purposes. We know what that's like. He's saying, you know this rhythm. You, this muscle memory is there. You know it. But he's, and he's saying, you know where that path goes. Lawlessness to more lawlessness. It's a downward spiral. You've experienced it. And what he's saying is, take that muscle memory and direct it to God. No, no, no. Sin, my hands aren't yours. My hands are for God, for his purposes. He's saying, present your body as a slave to righteousness. And that leads to not uh, present your body for righteousness. And that path doesn't spiral into lawlessness and more lawlessness. Its end is sanctification. In other words, holiness, consecration, the likeness of Christ in you. And at this point, I don't know, I feel like I don't have, I don't need more reason to, to uh, respond in obedience to what he's saying here. But Paul says he has more to say. He has more to say. The next couple of verses answer the question, what reason do we have to present, what, do we, what reason do we have to do this? To present our bodies as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. What reason do we have? And Paul, in this final section, the third section, picks up on that topic, that theme of sanctification, holiness, consecration. And these final verses lead into a triumphant conclusion. This is really the icing on the cake. So here's what he says, starting in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He starts with slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. And the world around us revels in slavery to sin. Be free. Be free from righteousness. Be free from God. That's the path of life, the world will say. What a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. To be a slave to sin, Paul is saying, God's word is saying, is to plunge yourself down a path of fruitlessness, of shame, and of death. A death that is paid to you, as your wages. If you have listened to the testimony of a Christian, this is who I once was, you will hear those same themes. I was walking the path of fruitlessness. I was walking the path of things that I'm so ashamed of now. I was walking the path of death. It's what I deserved. And is that really what you want? Is that what you want? Fruitlessness. Shame, death, not just in this life, but forever in hell? Is that what you want? The wages of sin is death. And what does God give? What does God give? He gives the free gift of eternal life. He gives the unearned, unmerited gift of eternal life, which is only, notice, only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Only in Him. There are so many other religions out there. So many people will, who will profess some kind of generic spirituality. Oh, I believe in God. And when you press in, you realize that there really isn't any substance to it, especially there's no in Christness to it. Eternal life is only found in him. And to be united to the resurrected Christ is to receive the gift of resurrection life. You can't have, if you have Christ, you have life. If you don't have Christ, you only have death. So as I struggled with selfishness that morning, I stood at a crossroads. And in your daily struggle with sin, you stand at a crossroads many, many times times each day. Will you present your body to God? Or will you present your body to sin? And in that moment, that brief moment, as I was, as my routine was thrown off and I was called for by one of my children, I realized the path of selfishness isn't worth it. It's not worth it. Sin is not worth it. It's the path of sin and shame and death. And I know when I pursue that path, that's what happens in my family. But righteousness? Oh, this path is shining. It's bright. It's the path of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, is in light of these truths, in light of the end, which the end, which is sanctification and eternal life in Christ, present your bodies. Present your fingers, your toes, your voice, your eyes, your ears, all of your body. Present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. That's the call, brothers and sisters. Do you remember the basic issue in Romans 6? The basic issue is one of lordship. Lordship. Who is your Lord? Who has the dominion in your life? Whom are you serving? Is it God? Or is it sin? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of the liberating lordship of God. The good news of Jesus Christ is the good news of liberating lordship the lordship of god it's the good news of emancipation from sin's tyranny it's the good news that those who were once slaves to sin are now slaves to god which is which is the only path of true freedom and life flourishing that's it the good news of liberating lordship the only true freedom So what Paul wants you to know, what he wants me to know in Romans 6, and why this chapter is in our Bibles, why this is in the letter of Romans, is is because Paul wants us to know that those whom God justifies, he sanctifies. Those whom God declares righteous, he makes righteous, and he transforms. Both are good news. So we have celebrated the good news that there's no more sin in our account. How much sin is in our account? None. And here in this chapter, Paul is saying, not only is there no more sin in your account, but sin is no longer your creditor. Sin is no longer your Lord, your master. And that is good news. That is good news. This book is about the righteousness of God revealed. The salvation of God revealed. And what this Section. this chapter is saying, is good news for us. Not only are we declared righteous, but we are liberated from sin's dominion and set free to walk in newness of life. So, in light of this good news, if this is, if this is true, and it is, brothers and sisters, present yourselves to God. Amen.